Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. Today I'm joined by Irish international ultra runner Eddie Gallen from Belfast but living in Madrid. Eddie completed his first marathon in Dublin back in 1981. He then moved to Spain in 1985 and took part in his first ultra marathon in 1995 which was a 100km race in Madrid. Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Hello, John. Thank you. Eddie, okay. your first marathon was Dublin back in 1981. Were you a runner before that race? Uh, not really, not really. Because the first marathon I did in Dublin actually was in 1982. Uh, I just checked last night. It took me six hours and 10 minutes, six hours and 12 minutes, in fact. And uh, I did about the first 15 kilometres running. And then from there, I just sort of walked until the end. So I wasn't really prepared at all. I think that was only the maybe second or third edition of the Dublin Marathon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it was just beginning, it was just becoming popular because uh, I think it was the year before I saw the Belfast Marathon, which went which went very near our house, and I went out to see that. And that was, uh, like those days in Belfast, that was something really different when you saw all the people out in the streets uh, applauding these runners. And I think that uh, that inspired me to have a go myself. And that's what made you take up running? That was one of the main things. And then also, at that same time, I saw the documentary, the Terry Fox documentary, and that inspired me a lot as well. So I think it was a combination of those two things, you know, the, seeing the marathon in Belfast and, and, and being inspired by Terry Fox. And in between that first marathon and your first ultramarathon, were you still running? Yeah, after the first Dublin marathon that I did, I did Belfast the next year, and then I did... Dublin the year the next year again, and then and then I moved to Madrid, and then I started running again. Yeah, I did the Madrid Marathon and the, the Barcelona Marathon, and then I kept at it uh, and did my first ultra in 1995. That was a hundred kilometer race in Madrid. And what made you decide on doing that hundred kilometer race? Because it is such a big jump from doing the marathon, and the race, the ultra marathon races weren't as popular back then, so there wasn't the same attraction really. Yeah, this was uh, the first year that this race had been organised. It was the it was a, a run in the magazine. It was their 100th edition of the magazine. So to, to commemorate the 100th edition, they decided to organise a a 100 kilometre race. But it was actually they give you 24 hours to finish it. It was just to finish the distance of 100 kilometres in 24 hours. And uh, I don't know, it just uh, just felt like a new challenge. And uh, in fact, that year there was in the middle of the race was an incredible storm. And most of the people abandoned. And in fact, the the Spanish uh, football final was being played in, in the Madrid, in the Bernabeu Stadium. And it, it was uh, abandoned halfway through because the, the dressing rooms and the pitch were flooded. But anyway, the, the, I think that year only about 20 people finished the race. And I was one of them. And then the organizers said that anybody who finished that year would participate for every other year for free. So I, I got some good out of it. So yeah, that's a good incentive. Now, when you were training for the marathon, so you're probably following some kind of a marathon training plan, or did you just wing it? Uh, when I started, no, I, I wasn't following any sort of a plan, and I, I did obviously. It took me six hours and twelve minutes to finish the Dublin marathon. I hadn't done any serious training for that. Yeah, for the one hundred kilometres, I I can't remember to be honest, because it was nineteen ninety five. But I presume I would have I would have trained a bit harder for that. Yeah. 
And following on from that race in Madrid, what was your next ultramarathon? Okay, the next, uh, my first 24 hour race was in 1998. Uh, it was in a place called Coslada, which is just outside Madrid. And it was organized by a friend of mine. And it was in January, the start of January. Uh, so it was the middle of the winter. Uh, and I did 132 kilometers. That was the first one. Nowadays, the 24-hour race is becoming a bit more normalised. We, you know, Everybody seems to know about them. But back then, the concept must have sounding very unusual. What did you think yeah, then exactly. when you first heard about a 24-hour race? Yeah, it was very unusual, but I thought it was a, an interesting challenge. In fact, I remember that that first year that we did it, it was around a, a sports centre and around the football pitches. And on a Sunday morning, uh, people were coming to play football and asked us what we were doing. And I think most people didn't believe us when we told them that we'd been running for 24 hours. Uh, but yeah, just a, a new challenge. Now, I noticed from your stats on DUV that you've you've raced a 50k, 100k, 100 miles, 6 hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, and the 6-day race. Uh, What's your favourite discipline out of the lot of them? Uh, 24 hours for sure, yeah. What was your second 24-hour race? The following year, the, in the same place, that was 1999, and I did, i just tell you, uh, 164 kilometres the, the year after, the second year. And then jumping forward a couple of years, in 2007, you took part yeah. in the 24-hour European Championships in Madrid. How did that come about? Yeah, good question. Uh, you were the only Irish uh, person exactly, in that race. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, the year before, I think the World Championship was in uh, Taipei. And, I, and I, I didn't know there was actually an Irish team. And then I saw the results and I saw that Ireland had sent a team to that. And then I thought, well, I could do a similar number of kilometres. So I contacted Hilary Walker in the IAU and asked who was responsible for Ontario in Ireland. And then she told me it was Richard Donovan. So I got in contact with Richard and Richard said, it was very, very kind of him. He said, nobody else wants to participate. So uh, I'd be happy to register for you for the race. And he did. And that was my, my debut. Okay, that's a good start. Now, you mentioned 2006 in Taipei. Can you remember who was running in that race? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, I might actually look that one up myself now. Because I, w- I wasn't aware of that now, that there was somebody competing back in 2006. The same year, the World Championships was on in Canada, in Drummondville. Mm. Yeah, so you're also on the team for that. Can you remember who was on the team in Canada? Like it was uh, me, Richard Donovan, Tony Mangan, I think Ian Keith was there as well. And since then, you have gone on uh-huh. to complete eight European Championships and nine World Championships. And if I'm not mistaken, uh-huh. I think you have ran maybe 38 by 24-hour races? That's right, yeah, 38 at the last count. Now, as well as the 24-hour races, another big one that you, you seem to like quite a lot is the Spartathlon. Yep. So you're a four-time yep. finisher. Okay. Yeah, you're a four-time finisher of the Spartathlon. But how many times have you actually attempted a race? That's a good question as well. Yeah, my Spartathlon is definitely my my favourite race. I went the first time in 2001, and I abandoned after I was in 80 kilometres. So I just wasn't prepared, and it was I wasn't prepared for the heat either. And then it took me nine years to to pluck up the courage to go back again. So I went back in 2010. And I finished that year. That was the year that, that you finished as well. And then the next year, 2011, I finished again. Then 2012, uh, I abandoned because that was 
think it was three weeks after the World Championship in Katowice in Poland. And also that year, the spectacle was, it was the year that was really, really hot and almost everybody abandoned. So that year I abandoned as well. And then 2014 I finished and 2015 I finished. Okay, geez, that's quite so, a lot. Uh, six, yeah, six attempts and four finishes. Right, okay. I, I didn't actually know you'd been there that many times. Gee, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And have you any plans to go back to that one again? I'd love to, yeah. The unfortunate thing is that recently it seems to coincide every year with a, with a World or a European Championship around September. But yeah, I'd love to go back and do it again. Yes, yes, and they would... Uh, you'd have to prioritise that over the uh, Spartathlon for obvious reasons. Out of all the races that you have done up until now, do you have a standout memory? Do you have a favourite race? I have two that stick out in my mind. Uh, the year that... Uh, 2014, the Belfast 24 Hours, when you and I shared the Irish Championship. That was a special moment, for sure. And I'd have to agree with that one. Yeah, yeah. Good memories. And in 2017, when the World Championship was in Belfast, and I, I got the cap on the Irish team, that was like a dream come true. So, captain your, your your country in your city, something you could never have dreamt of as a kid. You know? That's great, yeah. Good answer. No, that's not what I was expecting at all, because I was kind of forgetting about those. You know. uh, a lot of people would kind of associate their standard race with something more, I suppose, scenic or just visiting an amazing place like or but, but that's mm-hmm. yeah that's more suppose intrinsic. So yeah, it's, that's a good answer there. What keeps you going? Probably the the will to pull on the green shirt again and to to keep running for Ireland. That's the the main motivation now. And and uh, when you go to the World Championships, European Championship it's, I think there's there's nothing better for a sportsman though, to go and represent your country and the the camaraderie that you see in the team and the camaraderie that there is from the other teams and it's a great atmosphere and it's uh, once you've been there you, you sort of get hooked on it as you, as you know yourself and so that, that's what keeps me going I'd have to agree with you there I can remember the first time I, I met you was I think it was 2010 we were in a hotel in Breve you had arrived that morning uh, myself and, and the other guys from Ireland you actually you were travelling from Madrid so you arrived earlier that day and we had travelled over from Dublin that evening and we met down at the bar and we had a drink and we just had a little chat about the team and, and that was it mm-hmm. yeah I suppose every time that you get that opportunity feels as good as the first it's something that you shouldn't really get used to and, and appreciate every time it happens no I, I do appreciate it uh, every time I, I get selected and especially as the years go by probably makes me even happier than the first time that I'm getting selected for the team. That's definitely the best thing I could have of any sportsman. Now, you mentioned the 24-hour race being your favourite discipline, and that it seems to be coming a lot more popular now. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into how you train? What would be a typical week in preparation for, say, the 24-hour race in Belfast? Yeah, okay. Uh, An average week would be probably about 140 kilometres. And probably have one day off and the rest of the days would be probably Saturday about five hours Sunday three or four hours just regular speed and then during the week like another two or three days just maybe 20 kilometers and probably a regular training session would be running up and down a hill in the park near my house in fact that's the park where where you did uh, seven marathons and seven continents in seven days uh, there's a little hill there and I run up and down that and recently I've started doing 
like uh, reps of two kilometers, and maybe I would do 10 or 12 two kilometers with it, maybe about 30 seconds in between to recover. But that, that's something new. I didn't used to do that. So the, the average is about 140 kilometers a week, and I would probably do more as I come up towards a, a big championship. I think the most I've ever done in one month is 800 kilometers. I think I've done that a couple of times. And do you follow a training plan, or is this something that you've just uh, adopted yourself? No, I don't have any training plan. I just run, if I feel like running more, I run more. If I feel like running less, I run less. I do keep a record of, of the kilometres that I do every day. I've done that for about the last three or four years, but I don't follow any sort of a plan. And would you have much of a variety to your pace, or would you keep it mostly the same? It's, um, it's almost always the same pace. And is that your uh, race pace? Yeah, more or less. Uh, now that I started doing these two-kilometre repetitions, that, that would be faster, that would be pushing it. Uh, but the, the other training sessions will just be regular, you know, 24-hour speed, yeah. And do you do any cross-training? Any cycling uh, on your day-to-day? No. I, I do press-ups, uh, usually. And now with this uh, confinement in Madrid, I haven't done any running since the 14th of March. So now I've started, actually, funny you should ask that, because I, I had an exercise bicycle out on the, on the balcony, which has been there for about 25 years without being used. And now it has come to my rescue. So I do about an hour cycling on the bicycle every day. And now I'm doing press-ups and squats and other, other stuff to keep fit. But during, during the regular training, I would only do running and press-ups. Now, you mentioned the confinement caused by uh-huh. the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's something I was kind of forgetting about now as I was talking to you because we're starting to accept it as being the norm. I suppose you're lucky that you didn't dump that bicycle. Exactly, exactly. In fact, I've offered, I've offered it to a few people if they wanted to take it away, but nobody took it. And I'm glad they didn't lie, so it's... It's my salvation, yeah. Yeah, just thinking that, like, there's a lot of people who probably did have exercise equipment that was just gathering dust, and it took them a long time to get rid of it, and now is the time where people are looking for these things. Well, apparently there was a big increase, it's the same in Ireland, a big increase here in the sales of treadmills, exercise bicycles, and, and keep fit equipment when, when the lockdown started. And how long have you been indoors for? Have you had a full well, lockdown? Uh, we've, yeah, we've been in lockdown since the 14th of... Uh, March and I've only left the house twice since the 14th of March to go to the supermarket and today is Easter Sunday April the 12th yeah so just a month yeah that's a long time when you get the go ahead to start training outdoors again how will you start back good question well we'll see when the when the lockdown is lifted I haven't really thought about it to be honest but it's going to be a good feeling for sure uh, yeah I don't know just maybe the first day to see how the legs feel because it's a good question I haven't done any running for four weeks and that's probably the first time in my life in the last 40 years that I've been a month without doing anything well without doing any running so we'll see how what the, what the feelings are on the first day well that's probably a good thing that you're not thinking about it in that way because it shows you're not being stressed about it you've accepted the situation you're doing no, what, no, you're, no. you're doing what you can you're lucky to have the exercise bike, you're doing a few push-ups and that to keep your upper body strength going. So I suppose that's probably keeping you in a good headspace. Oh yeah, in a, in a way I'm, I'm giving my body a rest, which it hasn't had for years. And look at the bigger picture, not being able to run is, a, is pretty insignificant when you look at the, the problems going, around, going on around me here in Spain, you know, with, with all the people in hospital and all the people losing their jobs. So not, not being able to run is just, a, it's not that important. Yeah, very true. Now something that I've noticed about you when we're doing these uh, 24-hour races is you don't seem to follow the same pattern as everyone else with their 
kind of nutritional plan. You always just do your own thing. You look after yourself. You're always self-sufficient. And you don't go for what people would term the, the norm with sports nutrition. How did you work out what is your plan? I suppose your plan in some ways is that there's no plan. You just do it. Would it be right in saying that? Well, yeah, well, it's well, I've done it 38, so I'm, 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 I'm finally beginning to learn some, some tricks. So I would usually start off about every two hours with taking an energy bar and up until about eight or ten hours. And then after that, I, I couldn't get anything sweet down me. So then I switched to mostly sandwiches and sometimes like uh, pasta pots. Uh, but I find that sandwiches, especially tomato and cheese, I don't know why, but go down really well. And then towards the end of the race, maybe the last three or four hours, probably just uh, stay on the Coke, and Coke and water, just liquids. Now, I don't want to jinx you, but over the years you have earned the name Steady Eddie. You never stopped. You were always there out on the course when the race ends. How do you manage to stay so consistent? Probably uh, I don't push myself as hard as other runners would push themselves. Probably they go for the best possible performance and maybe maybe I'm more controlled. And maybe I concentrate more on making sure that I I do keep going for the 24 hours. Because I've seen a lot of people who go well for 12 hours and 18 hours, but you know yourself, if, if, if you're going well for 20 hours and then you stop, uh, you, you, you step away down the field. But if you manage to keep going, even if it's slowly for 24 hours, then in the end you're going to get a reasonably good result. Plus, I, I can't run any faster anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I, I can't do any better. I couldn't go any faster. And then when you're actually there, the fact that you're representing your country, was, it makes you uh, keep going, you know. And it's, you're, you're lucky to be there and you have to make the most of the chance when you're there. You say you can't really go any faster, but you never seem to go slower either. You are always steady, and that in itself is kind of a hard thing to do. I think I, I slow down towards the end of this, maybe not very noticeably, but I, but I, but I do, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's not noticeable because we're, we're starting to fall asleep at that stage. No, oh, maybe. <laughs> now, do you have any standout memories from any of the OAU World or European Championships? Standout memories? Um... Not that, not that I can think of now. Uh, well, there's one that well, comes yeah, well, to well, my well, mind. Well, oh, okay, yeah, go on. Well, we, yeah, we were sitting, we were in Katowice and we were on the bus yeah. heading out to the race and you were sitting with Yanis Kouros, uh-huh. probably yeah. the most famous ultra-runner of all times and uh-huh. he couldn't speak very good English and uh-huh. you weren't too good with the Greek but you still managed to have a conversation with each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, I, think uh, I was sitting beside John Collins on the bus and and Yanis Kuros got on, so John got up to give him a seat. And then, yeah, that, that was my chance to... Usually you just get a chance to shake hands with a man, but this was my chance to have a conversation with him, so I, I tried to take advantage of it. And we were on the bus for about 20 minutes on the way back to the hotel after the race. And, uh, yeah, he was a real gentleman and, and very friendly. And he, he was very... I think probably he had difficulty understanding my Belfast accent, but he, he was very... But he, he seemed to be very happy to talk about his races and, and answer all my questions. But yeah, that, that, was a, that was a great moment for sure. And then it turned out that his aid table was situated beside ours, so we were kind of helping each other throughout the race, if you can remember that. Yeah. With the lockdown still in place and a lot of races being cancelled or postponed, what are your own thoughts on how this year is going to pan out? Yeah, I reckon everything will be cancelled. Uh, until about maybe November, December. I think at the moment the, the European Championship in, in Verona hasn't been cancelled yet, but I'm sure it will be. Uh, yeah, and everything else has been cancelled up to then. It's, it's a year lost, but... 
any mention of this Spartathlon? I haven't heard anything about it yet, but I, I would be surprised if it goes ahead, to be honest. Yeah. When we get the all clear to go back outside and getting back into some normal training, how will you start back? Well, uh, we'll see how the legs feel on the first day. Uh, I imagine I, I feel strong and I imagine I'll be full of running. So uh, I don't think it'll take me long to, to get into it again and to, and to make up for lost time. But you would start back with a, a, a lower volume than what you would expect to be doing at this time, I take it. Well, as I say, I never really have any, any training programme. So I'll just go out the first day and probably do 20 kilometres or so. And if, if I feel good, I'll probably do more. And if I notice that the legs are tired, I'll, I'll, I'll stop and, and think about it. We mentioned earlier that the 24-hour race is becoming a lot more popular. What advice would you have for someone that's considering taking up 24-hour racing? I would say definitely go for it. It'll probably be one of the best experiences of your life. It's a world where you meet fantastic people. The camaraderie that you see, for example, in Belfast, and that you see in every championship and every race, you can't compare that to anything else in any other sport. I've certainly never seen that kind of atmosphere where everybody tries to help everybody. And probably after your first one, you'll be hooked on it. But definitely for me, it changed my life, 24-hour racing. I made my debut for Ireland when I was 44 years old. And that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I think I can give you the opportunity to have lots of great experiences and I think it'll be life transforming for a lot of people. And what do you think is the hardest part of the event? Uh, probably when you get to about 18, 17, 18, 19 hours and it's the middle of the night or it's four or five o'clock in the morning and then you're, you're still seeing a long way to go yet and then that's when you have to dig in and, and get the head down and, and get through it and realise that it'll all be over sooner than you think and then probably the more you suffer the more satisfaction it'll give. And with regards to training, what would you suggest as being the longest run that somebody should do as part of their training week? I know you mentioned six hours being your longest run. Do you think that's kind of an optimum amount? I know we're all different, but just your ideas. Yeah, that's another good question. I would regularly, well, regular, yeah, six hour runs leading up to a race. And then sometimes to a 64 kilometre run, there's a bicycle ring that goes around Madrid and it's 64 kilometres. And I would do that regularly. But reason seems the experts recommend that you shouldn't be more than, than about 50. Uh, that's what most of the modern-day trainers say. So it's a, it's a good question. You're the expert in that area. Well, I think that makes sense because you should only do what you can recover from because if you need too much time off after a training run, you're not able to build on it. That by the time you can get out to do another decent training run, you may have lost some of what you've built previously so but you know so we're, we're all different and you know you've been around a long time so i would certainly listen to what you have to say and i have often got in touch with you asking you for recommendations on what to do mm-hmm. right eddie thanks very much for your time we'll uh, leave it at that and hopefully you get back outdoors soon and back into your normal kind of a training routine and i look forward to actually meeting you in person again okay john it's a pleasure now, if you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, you might consider leaving a review on Apple iTunes or subscribing wherever you listen. Thank you. Mm-hmm.